What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. Today's guest will be Amy Fleischer Madden. She is the author of the book, an outstanding book, Negatives, a Photographic Archive of Emo, 1996 to 2006. Music history geeks will love this, and she defines emo in a very detailed way in a way most authors could not, quite frankly. So anyway, we'll be back with Amy right after this. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Message. So congratulations on the book, Negative. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Photographic journey as well as essays. You know, how long did it take to put together all the photographers, all the you know, different, different writers, including yourself? Um, it really took three years. Um, I started it right 
before 2020 and it's a longer story it it started as a documentary and it morphed into the book uh once COVID happened and I couldn't really do what I wanted to do with a documentary and I was like okay it's a book and I was a bit disappointed um I was excited to take a break from books but the joke is it took three years or it took 25 years because a lot of these photos at least the ones that I took uh I've been carrying them around since I was like 17 years old Mm. so it's been a journey that's for sure you ever include some of them in your fanzine which I want to get to Uh, um (laughs) I probably actually I probably didn't the fanzine was so uh, you know fanzine and I was so young um that's what's great about fanzines yeah (laughs) um there might have been a couple of photos of mine in the fanzine now that I think about it. I think the last issue of it was a South Florida band uh, called Shy Halud. And I remember mm. I shot them at this like super famous venue called Churchill's. And I remember that was on the cover. And I was like so proud that it was a, a local band on the cover at a local venue. But yeah, very, very small things happened in the zine so just to get a background you started the zine when you were 16 that's that's amazing fiddler jones yeah that's Um, very cool i I respect i started a zine um not at 16 but right after high school was uh it was heavy metal though not uh it was in the 80s so i totally understand the whole vibe of wanting to capture the scene and to create this sort of community through a zine yeah Uh, i don't think people i don't even know if they're the zine mentality is still out there now because it's a different maybe it's it's online um but there was something great about like you said you would hand out zines to people at the clubs and it was just more interpersonal interactive it seemed to me um, when I was doing it, like, uh, you know, I would get to talk to people and hang out with people. And then, you know, it was a way of uh, welcoming, you know, like a welcome or introduction to them. So I, I totally get uh, the zine thing. And then it turned into um, it turned into a record company. Which yeah, is quite amazing. I think the zine thing when back in that time I was promoting shows i was booking shows i used to call it like hand-to-hand combat because yeah. you could walk up to somebody and engage in a conversation and exactly. hand something either a flyer like please take this and like put it on your fridge or on your bulletin board or like here is a zine or it's a dollar or whatever i think sometimes i charged a dollar um but it was a very like one-to-one connection Right. And I have to tell you, a lot of the people that I met in that era in my life are still my friends, right. like randomly meeting people when I was 15 years old at different concerts and we're still friends. Um, I think it exists today. It's just a different iteration of it. And I think it's all digital and social, which right. makes me sad for the younger people coming up. But I think I think kids eventually do meet up when it's safe and whatnot i hate that i have to say that um but i do i think people still connect the weird thing is now people can connect on such a larger scale but that like macro interaction is 
gone, you know? Yeah, that kind of takes away from it, right? It yeah. vocal thing that made it so cool. Or you felt like you were part of a club, an exclusive club. Oh, yeah. Mainstream, mainstream wasn't a part of, and that's that's what you loved about it. Yeah, it's like you had a secret. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I'm a part of the secret club, and regular people don't know about it, Like, and that's okay. And then with the uh, record company, um, that started, what, a year or so after the fans? Yeah. 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 Um, a year or so after when I was still in high school and <clears throat> it made it just made sense to me at the time. Looking back at it now, it's like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, but at the time, there were one or two local labels and then there were smaller indie labels that I just, you know, worshipped. And it was like, well, wh- why can't I do that? I can do that. Yeah. Like, I can do that in, in my town. Um so it just seemed normal. <laughs> well, you found out that it, it was more complicated than. Okay. So you much. said that the first band, you, you said it flopped, but. Oh, it was, yeah. It, it was a um, good experience, though. It, wasn't it was a, a really good learning curve. Um, and I feel there's some probably some sort of like sports analogy here where like you walk out on the field and you go to hit a home run and you just whiff you know I think you have to fail a little bit it's it's actually not great if you don't fail um and you know in hindsight the the release was quote unquote a flop but by by standards of how many people actually went to shows in South Florida like it did great like it was like you sold a hundred copies that's a lot you know like maybe 50 people go to a show here and there so a hundred is a lot that must be collectible now. Those are kind oh, of yeah. usually collectible. They they are. Um, yeah, I, I released I re-released it with the band a few years ago. My timeline's all funky from COVID brain. Um, but it's <laughs> like I think it was pre-pandemic, and we we put the re- we made new artwork and we put it up digitally for the first time ever, and you know just so people that never even heard it could hear it cool that was fun yeah you probably see it on ebay the original pressing right i mean yeah it's it's a very like niche you know like you have to know what it is to be like Um, oh whoa you have that record collectors love that though yeah Um, you know speaking of genres you know to the uninitiated sometimes i emo is hard to define would you agree with that? I, mean, uh, I think it's it's near impossible. Um, and it's I've tried to write about it like that exact statement. Yeah. Emo is hard to define. I think I even <laughs> say that in my intro to the book. Um, yeah. The interesting thing that's happening in my world is people that I know that I'm not connected to through music are experiencing my journey with this book with like me posting clips from the book and like bands and songs and things and people are coming to me and they're like I like emo and I had no idea that this is what it was Mm -hmm. which lets me know that the like misconception stereotype version of emo that I've been fighting against basically my whole life since it became that that this book is actually doing what it I wanted it to do. Like it's not a cliche pastiche 
thing. It's a sincere musical movement that, you know, if you have an ear, you can get into it. Right. Now, if you go to a record store, a lot of those bands are filed under rock. But I remember mm-hmm. in the 2000s, there there was in several stores sections. Yeah. That would be, say, emo. Yeah. Know? And well, that's if there were even sections for emo, there was one, you know, it was a little bit touch and go there for a minute. <laughs> Explain how the book is, uh, you know, separated into second wave and third wave and why you decided to do that. Great, great question. Um, so I feel like as the movement progressed, uh, it was it got very difficult to put certain bands in the genre next to each other like if you put um a second wave band next to like a third wave band that got much bigger and more produced and was you know visible on a grand scale when you put them together it's very apples and oranges yep and a few people have asked why i haven't included the first wave which is a great question too but it it's it wasn't my world like it was before my time and I I wasn't a participant and I wasn't a fan in it and I didn't want to tell a story that wasn't mine to tell. Um, so I started it where I felt confident in documenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second wave starts on my clock, like at the tail end of 95. So we call it 96 and it goes right up until 99, 2000. And that's when the third wave starts and the genre moves much more into a pop direction and much more into like a rock direction. Mm. And there's some bands that transcend the waves like Jimmy Eat World is a really great example of that, where they've been a band through the entire thing. Like they're not as early as a first wave band, but they were at the tail end of it, like with their first demos and whatnot. And if you follow them sonically, if you listen to tracks of Static Prevails, that's a second wave emo band. But then when you revisit them five, six years later in the third wave, they're a third wave emo band. And they've kind of eclipsed the genre where they are a major rock band. They do play these huge tours. So the the DNA is still there. But I just it I just felt like it was a really interesting way to like move the camera around and like zoom in on just different eras to get a better look at things. Right. I could see it now that you explained it like that. That's perfect. Oh, cool. First first wave, would you include, so would that be bands that were influential? You think? Yes. Or just now a band like say Helmet, would you include Helmet in it? Because they weren't really heavy metal. They were kind of like influenced by hardcore punk but not heavy metal it's it's kind of weird to but i'm sure they influenced uh bands in emo for sure well it's that's why emo is so hard to define because 99 percent of bands i think other than i was about to say boy bands but i think they might even fall (laughs) into it if you really really like look at something there is like particulates of the dna that is emo like think 182 you can say they're emo i wouldn't include them in an emo book because they have so many other attributes of like humor and punk and things like that that they're not like true to the genre but helmet i mean i remember listening to betty forever ago 
and you know when it came out and being like what is this because it was like alternative rock and heavy metal at the same time um but it had that sort of emotional furious quality right yeah i i struggled the same with tool like tool is one of those bands that's like when you listen to sober that is like that has like sunny day real estate feelings yeah, to it, yeah. but it's not emo. Like it's really interesting, and I think some bands definitely like vacation in emo throughout their career, right. and some bands are in it and they kind of filter outward on certain records. It's that's why I think it's so hard to to, to find. Well, you you included two bands that I hold in high regard, and I I never consider them emo, but you're when you defined it when you put them there it made sense at the drive-in yeah which which i think were better than um what they evolved into mars volta yeah Uh, they were a really good band i don't know why they broke up but you said that experiencing them live was the stuff of legend maybe you can explain that um so some of the bands exactly like at the drive-in I feel like aren't 100% an emo band, but their influence is so important in the genre that they can like hold their own weight in there. And seeing at the drive-in was like a religious experience. And I believe they broke up. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they broke up because they just couldn't get along at a certain point. Like certain band members just didn't gel. And which happens. It happens to the best of them and the worst of them. Um, But at the drive-in, the ferocity of their live show, it was, it was dangerous. Like, it was like, you might get a guitar thrown at the side of your head. Mm. And there was such just this, like, omnipresent swagger with Omar and Cedric that, like, their style was infectious. Like, you wanted to dress like them. Like, they, I remember the first time I saw them, they all had white belts. And I was like, where do I get a white belt? Like, why has nobody ever told me about a white belt? And then you pair that with Jim Ward, who did amazing things in at the drive-in and with Sparta after that band. And his just his scream was just so amazing that it's like it was that band was pure lightning in a bottle. And then there's Cursive, who I you know, I didn't get to see them live either. I wish I did. Um but you described them perfectly. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, you know, like, after they... listening to them, uh, I feel like I've been beaten up, but in a good oh, way. It's so brutal. <laughs> but they, I mean, I have to tell you, I saw Cursive a couple months ago. You have to go. It's it's just as good now as it was then, um, uh, if not better. Um, Cursive Live is something you have to experience for sure. Or in the studio, they're like an exorcism put the music. So I can only imagine what they're like live. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. it's it's really emotional, like to use the worst word possible to explain it. It's really emotional. Um yeah, cursive is unbelievable to see live. But what's also great about the book, it's not just concert photos, you capture life as a musician as an emo uh musician and uh was it gerard way in the um supermarket right? oh yeah of my chemical romance one of my favorite photos in the book he's not he's not a glamorous vampire he's actually 
He's wearing cargo <laughs> shorts and a hoodie and I think New Balances, which is right. like, I so think it might. So far from his image. Yeah, but I mean, that might, it might still be, but that at, at the time was like the trademark tour, you know, outfit. It was like comfort, right. you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, um, when that photo came in, I was just like, this is, this is what I want to show just as much as that guy on yeah. stage, like real people in like stranger in a strange land vibes. Right. Um, I'm so glad that came through on your end. Who was the guy you took? You took a picture of someone. It was your photograph in the Badlands. Was that oh, a, was yeah. that on tour? That was a pretty good one. Thank you. Yeah, that was when I was on tour with Saves the Day, and it was the last like tour ended the day before, and we were doing a crazy drive from Seattle back to New Jersey, and the band. I can't remember if they had stopped there before or they had always wanted to. It was one of those like bucket list things. They were like, we have to stop in the Badlands and we have to listen to Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska the whole way through. And I, and I was like, okay, let's go. Like, this sounds incredible. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, you have to take drugs and listen to dark side of the moon. It was like that kind of, you know, let's do this. And we got to the Badlands at the perfect perfect moment like the sun was setting it was golden hour and the the band members at the time of that iteration of the band were like so wonderful to be around they were all these like meditative contemplative emotional grown-up men mm. um and I just remember we got there and we all just kind of separated and did our own thing and like felt the universe and then came back to each other um yeah, I'm really glad you like that photo. That photo is super special to me. So thinking about the different waves and how emo is hard to define, I know you've said in the book, I think you said most people think of uh, My Chemical Romance and Fallout, Fallout Boy, right? That's mm -hmm. okay. But so not just commercial success, not just um, the most popular band. How would you define a, an artist that perfectly captured emo and sound not just not just the most like the most popular person in high school you know yeah who did um, it right in your eyes who did the it? most quintessential emo band yes. yes i a part of me wants to say it's sunny day real estate mm. but then a very truthful other part of me for me i want to say it's mineral mm. um some people don't like both of those bands. Some people are like column A or column B, but not both. Right. Um, for true. me, those min those early Mineral records are just like, they just destroy you. Like, it's so good. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I feel like I can pick songs that can answer that question. And then I can right. pick bands that are not the same as the songs. And then I can pick albums. Like, because right. I can say... Okay, it's American football, never meant that song. Or I could say it's Jawbreakers Dear You album as a whole. Or I could say what it is like to see cursive or mineral live. Like it's right. so many ways gotcha. to answer it. Right. No, that's a good, that's a good introductory um, <laughs> kind of a, if you wanted people to get into emo, right? Yes. Um, instead of the mainstream way. Yeah. Uh, okay. So finally, what 
what's next for you? What's are you doing? Many people don't know. I think you're aren't you a novelist as well? I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, director, <laughs> you know, um, I have two other projects that I've been working on throughout this the entire time. And it's kind of like, uh, in the theater, how you don't say good luck, you say like break a leg. Um, like I'm learning in book world, at least for me, it's super helpful if I don't talk about projects until they're almost okay. ready to come out into the world. like because you never know what's going to happen with them. Um, but I have two more book projects in the works. I don't know which will happen first or if things will shift and it'll be a different thing that I didn't even know existed yet that comes out before the other two. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm kind of feeling that I have to really pay attention to like signals that are given to me, like this is going to be the next thing. I can see it. It's coming. Okay. I have to push on that. Um, Cause I do this thing where I work on too many things at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah. like jazz and or ADHD, whichever you want to call it. But um, my brain is just like always going. So, but something, something will be next. I don't know exactly what yet. And, and you know, projects, they start out as one idea and then they evolve and you, you brought that uh to our attention with how negatives started out as a documentary idea exactly yeah so as as far as doing documentaries is that always a box you want to finally check as a goal like is that uh, yeah i would i would love to i am a film and television nut you can do some <laughs> on the badlands oh my gosh uh <laughs> listening to the album Oh my gosh. Album continuously, Nebraska. I mean, that's a that's a short film right there. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I went to film school. I love everything visual. I would love to be in a visual space like that one day for sure. It just depends on the right time, right? Right time. And what I'm learning most is like the right team, like yeah. who you do it with. Yeah. True. That that's true. Yeah. Films and documentaries are more of a team project. Yep, yeah. a massive, don't... massive collaboration. Don't really think about it that way sometimes. Um, they give yeah. so much uh, to the filmmaker, but you know, especially with documentaries. But there's so much going on. So um, so much. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk to Goldmine. Oh, uh, this was such a treat. Thank you so much for really digging into the book. I, I yeah. love, I love speaking with you. Again, congratulations. That, thank you. I mean, thank you. I mean I, like I said, you said it took three years. That's quite an accomplishment. Come, you know. Anyway, yeah. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds Thanks. good. Keep in touch. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. 
From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.